this week. I know you were expecting a fun little rollout, but no, nah, I'm going to bring it into a whole different ballgame. This week, we are actually talking to one of the few anglers that I definitely can say I always want to catch up to. Uh, he is a very well-known name throughout our fishing community in Florida, especially in the Panhandle and over in the Jacksonville area. He is a published author. He's a veteran of the United States Navy. And the man has quite the stories to tell you. So this week, we're talking with Paul Vanslet, and you're listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Yeah, it's time for another good week. It's going to be awesome. I am super excited. I'm trying not to convey that too much. Anyway, so like I said in the introduction, this week we are talking to Paul Vancelet, and he has a lot of awesome knowledge. If you haven't been following any of his stuff through uh, the groups on the surfing area in, in Florida, you're missing out on some cool stuff. But not only is he a really phenomenal angler, he's also uh, a published author. He finished up his book and published it this year, Fishing As I Lived It. Uh, phenomenal read, and I definitely recommend you guys take a look at it. I read it in a day, so it was it was a really good book. I just I couldn't actually stop. It was a lot of fun going through it. But one of the other reasons I really wanted to talk to Paul, besides that he's a published author and I want to talk about his book, he has always been a lack of better terms, a, a ch coach and cheerleader of people in the Facebook community and the online presence when it comes to people posting and him kind of saying, hey, you know, you're doing a good job, uh, always giving advice and stuff like that. So now that I've completely introduced you to a ridiculous level, <laughs> welcome to the show, Paul. <laughs> uh, yeah, piece of cake, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I didn't set you up at all, did I? <laughs> no. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> as I started up, what I was saying here. So, Paul, a uh, uh, veteran of the United States Navy, author, angler, teacher, uh, into the communication world guru, uh, and a student in the world of fishing. And you wrote this really <clears throat> better. It was a great book. I, I'm not going to embellish it. It's simple. It's a great book. Uh, everybody, no, if you want to get a chance on that one. But you really poured your heart and soul into that book. How long did it take you to write it? Um, so pieces of it had been written for quite a while. Um, I mixed and matched and changed my mind on the direction the book was going. Um, and then I kind of came back to a simple outlook of let's just put it all in chronology rather than, uh, modern day and then bouncing back to a, to a memory of how come and what for. So the flow was basically a chronology from childhood uh, you know, starting from a fish tank, you know, little toddler age and the memories I had of that, um, right up through, uh, current time. So it's, it's broken into 15 chapters and, um, I kind of, uh, was a student of, uh, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, uh, also, uh, better known as Mark Twain. Uh, one of his things that, uh, uh, he gets quoted for in teaching, are the teachers in, in the communities that uh, talk to writers 
uh, try to make things concise. And so Mark Twain's uh, famous uh, opening line in a letter to a friend one time was, uh, dear, I think his name was Samuel also, but dear Samuel, I was going to write you a short letter, but I didn't have time. So instead I wrote you a long one. Um, <laughs> to Twain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of kept that theme. So this book is, uh, is short and concise. Um, I think every sentence has a meaning. Every sentence, uh, ties to the one before it and one after it and so on. And uh, it's, it's an easy read. It, it flows and you can be done in a couple hours kind of thing. And that's not speed reading. That's uh, pausing here and there to consume what the thoughts or feelings conveyed mean to you, the reader. Absolutely. You, you nailed that one, man. Cause every time I was reading it, I was able to kind of paint the picture. I was able to see the scenery. Um, I was able to kind of just feel what you were getting at and a lot of it, you know, and for me also, uh, being from new England, there's a few pieces in there that you had posted and I was like, ha, yeah, I know what that shoreline kind of looks like. Okay. I remember what this is like. Oh, all right. Um, but it was really, really well described and were really well put together. So uh, bravo on that one for sure. And uh, you did, you are right. It's not a speed. It was very, very, uh, smooth, smooth flowing all throughout. Definitely left me questioning a couple times, like, wait, 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 there's more here. So it, uh, <clears throat> I almost felt like it was like, oh, he's setting up a sequel. All right, I, I can follow on that line. I'm going to highlight that. <laughs> so, uh, why did you want to write a book? Um, so, I mean, I, I can go back into the, to the 80s. Um, I was actually had published some articles or had articles published in Stars and Stripes uh, uh, newspaper, uh, the Arms Forces uh, Network newspaper. Good old AFN. I had done some, yeah, I had submitted some articles that I had written, and they took them and published them. And, you know, the accolades that come with that, attaboy, you know, free free chow for you tonight. Yeah, well, no kidding. <laughs> <Nobody pays> anyway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the 80s, I got a... Um, two different articles published in Chesapeake Bay magazine um, that, that were a big hit, you know, and lots of, lots of feedback. Now, again, kind of bear in mind, this is way before internet and social media. Um, so this would be postcards or actual letters uh, coming into the editor that they would forward. So I'd get a little stack of thank yous and whatever. So, um, and then my daughter, she's needled me through the years, dad, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? Um, and, and some of that was, um, back when I was an offshore charter captain, I would take photos and write a story about our outings. And I tried to do that for every trip or just about every trip offshore. And, uh, all of that would go up onto my charter website. So that was about as high tech as I was back, uh, like, you know, the year 2000 to 2010. Um, and then since then, you know, we've got all the social media, we've got Facebook and we've got YouTube channels and blogs and, you know, all, all sorts of things here that, that let the communication fly a lot quicker. Yeah. I mean, that was um, cutting edge technology for the 2000 time though. You I mean, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> 
uh, for for our younger listeners, yes, back in the day, uh, we had to you know rotary phones. You had to actually pick up the phone. Um, there was actually yeah. no call waiting for many years. It, it was either it was busy or it wasn't. So yeah. We, oh yeah, you're welcome. And you didn't know who was calling you. Right? Oh, you just that had was... to pick up and say hello. And that's where this comes from today. That's why it's hello. I mean, we still get caller ID. And we're like, oh, I know who that is. Hello? Like, dude, you yeah. knew it was me. What's up? <laughs> oh, that's perfect on so many levels. Um, was it easy for you to put yourself out there for the world to see in your book? Um, so there, there, it is a, a very personal story being told. Um, and there's definitely uh, sharing my feelings. But I'm hoping that it made my book more sincere. Um, it's not verbose and egotistical or chest thumping kind of stuff. It's just, Hey, here's, here's what it was. Um, and here are the thoughts and the feelings. Um, I, in hindsight, not knowing it then, I mean, it's always a hindsight thing when I realized that I grew up a little bit different than so many of my other friends and so on. And that, you know, as it says on the cover of my book, a, a fatherless world, um, my parents divorced and my father passed away about six and a half years after the divorce. And we had moved from at the time, Rochester, New York, my mom took uh, my brother and I down to Philadelphia area. Um, so she could start her life over again. So, and again, back in the the 60s, um, it was hard to, you know, you don't jump on a plane. Um, we would do Greyhound bus kind of thing. So my brother and I would do a Greyhound bus, bus ride from Philadelphia to Rochester for Christmas. Or uh, he would drive down for Thanksgiving. And we did that for, you know, you know, for the duration of the rest of his life. Um, he had a sudden heart, heart attack, uh, literally picking up his coat, getting ready to go to work in the living room. And again, CPR wasn't a big deal back in those days. And, you know, you know, there's all sorts of what ifs tied to that stuff, but it was what it was. That was the deck of cards I was dealt. And, uh, you know, I, I did go into it in the book as far as, you know, when I wanted to go out for sports, you didn't have a father to drill you to be better. You'd be the, the, uh, blocking dummy for the neighbor's kid and their father helping the kid his kid get better um but uh so a lot of a lot of accidental learning um indirect learning um which taught me to just survive with trial and error so um that's been a theme i guess the rest of my life it's like i'm not afraid to try anything um failure is expected um and then uh eventually it's going to succeed yeah, it's one easy way to win or learn is to fail, and it's okay to fail. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why people are so scared of failure. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's going to happen. Well, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that one always got me. I don't know. We, I mean, we could have a whole show on that alone. So, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. Got to go on this one. All right, so uh, you've got a real long history of fishing uh, laid out in your book, and we've definitely hit a few pieces on that. Uh, and you left it open really well. And I, again, from when I read it, uh, what was it, two months ago? I read it when it came out. Uh, so after reading it and seeing what you've done since, you know, now you've got the new boat, uh, you're playing with some new fun stuff. Where Where's the future taking you with fishing right now? Um, so my... 
deepest respect and hats off to the inshore fishermen, the guys that are doing the marshes and the estuaries and the skinny backwater areas. Um, that that's a heck of a thing to figure out. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear that 90, 10 rule, 90% of fish are in 10% of the water. Well, I've almost completed uh, finishing mapping out the ninety percent. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're already there. I mean, you're you're, you're yeah. already winning. Yeah, I know exactly where there aren't fish. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it, it's um, so the, I'm taking that on as a real challenge. Um, I mean, inshore fishing is definitely a multi generational thing, and. Uh, you know, you've got your uncle and grandfather that, that's got you to his favorite little honey hole, and this is where you go in August, and here's where you go in December. I mean, there's a lot of that as far as fish movement <laughs> that um, isn't so straightforward. Um, so it, it can be a really kind of unique uh, style of fishing um, that uh, I'm appreciating more and more every time I'm trying for it. Um, but I'm not discouraged. It's a, it's just a wonderful challenge for me right now. Yeah. It's been fun watching. That's definitely for sure. So, uh, while you were writing, how fun was it going back through your memories though, to get the story out? Um, you know, <laughs> we've got, I've got boxes of old photographs. My father, uh, worked at Eastman Kodak company, uh, in Rochester, New York for over 33 years and so he was his department always got the the latest and greatest camera memories of different things and you know basically what I tried to do was you know hang on to the feelings that were associated to some of that and then the feelings um, I was feeling happy I was feeling sad I was feeling confused whatever that happened to be um, it, it let some of the details roll back in um, or at least my interpretation of what I was thinking was going on. And so some of that I did capture into the book. Um, uh, one quick example without spoiling the chapter completely. I mean, when you're a little kid in a snowsuit in Rochester, New York, and, and it is demanded of you to keep your feet on the, on the rubber mats and off the seats, um, little kids can't see out the windows anymore. So there's so much of my life in the wintertime where I was only looking up diagonally out the window. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would know where we were going based on the phone wires and telephone poles or traffic lights, which was the only thing to see. So it's things like that, that I was like, I see a picture of my snowsuit. It would rush back in like, Oh yeah. Riding in the car every time was horrible <laughs> <laughs> oh man the, the, and back then when they didn't have the uh, what was it the uh the seat belts and all that fun stuff you know oh, there yeah. suggestions yeah uh no uh we didn't have seat belts until gosh mid 60s i think see um people are they don't even know yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't yeah well we used to lay lay up on behind the back seat in the in the little angle to the back window up on the back deck and uh, just thought that was great, not realizing that was the perfect catapult spot for any kind of <laughs> head-on collision. <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny and sad all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, granted, I'm a kid of the 80s, so, you know, we only had what, I think we had the lap belt ones and then the other one was your mom's arm. You know, it was either she stopped you or she was reaching back to, you know, shut you up, you know, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's amazing how long their arms could be, right? When oh. they wanted to smack you in the mouth. Oh, yeah. And, and you always <laughs> thought, okay, if I sit behind her, I won't be, she won't be able to reach me. No, no, that that's prime zone right there. You're, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, yeah. I, I'm kind of alluded to it because uh, I do feel like, you know, I was like, man, there's more. Uh, is there more to the story that you're thinking about writing later on? Or was that just, hey, that's a one and done? Uh, no, I mean, this, this story still has plenty of, uh, plenty of events and, and things and, and quite a bit of it is not fishing related. And I might be bold enough to, to add some chapters that are totally without a fishing theme. Um, if, if I hang on to the people that like the style of my writing or like my storytelling. Yeah. Hey, you got um, me in, man. You can count me in for the series <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, there, there's certainly some stories, uh, you know, Vietnam Navy and, uh, also the, uh, taking of the, uh, Iranian embassy, the Iranian hostage situation. I saw both of those events and, uh, both of them kept me employed in the Navy against my will. Oh, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay here. <laughs> Downside of being good at your and, job. <laughs> yeah. Right place at the long time, or yeah. <laughs> however every, that goes. Every veteran's like, "Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly." Uh, so, in your book, um, you really you had a very big uh, impact on the. Uh, I guess the charter is the best way to say this. Um, you ha- you were a charter boat captain. You were running charters down south. Um, and you moved away from that. I don't want to spoil it because there's a really funny part of that story um, that I want you all to read. Um, I, I can see it all in my head right now, and uh, that damn cri- <laughs> that damn creature um, <laughs> that <laughs> one swims by me. I'm always going to remember you for that story. I'm like, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, so let, let's talk about the surf fishing. Let's get in there. So what brought you to the surf? Um, so it, it's kind of like, uh, the alpha and omega kind of thing. Cause surf fishing was the first, first time I was, uh, getting in a car with a neighbor that lived in the, in the neighborhood who was a retired policeman. And he said, Hey, if you, you want to go with me, we're going to go to Jersey shore. We're going to surf fish. And I heard the word fish, and I by that point in time, I'd been fishing all sorts of other things, but fishing the ocean, um, this was going to be a brand new thing. So I said yes, and make a long story short, um, at least that whole summer, part of the fall, back to school and stuff, so that re- resorted back to weekends. Um, I was going with my neighbor and a couple other kids, and he was taking us out on the beach and showing us how to surf fish. And... Uh, he was uh, maybe ahead of his time, or this is the way all the old timers used to do it. You stared at the water, and you figured out currents and cuts and troughs, and you know where the rips were and all of that. And this is what he did, and he could walk us what seemed like miles. I'm sure it wasn't that far, but he would walk us up and down the beach until he found his piece of water, and then we would set up. Now Jersey, we would catch a lot of bluefish. Um, also, uh, the big flounder, the fluke, they call them up there, uh, with the bucktails. And, uh, so he'd say, okay, we're going to go for bluefish. And it always amazed me. He would call the fish that he was after. And I think that was a very early impression 
about being content catching uh, what you're targeting. Um, Not an easy and, thing to do there sometimes. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Are you, though? Yeah. Um, and I wasn't in the position. We retired. Uh, we, we had a house built and moved in. And, you know, money's uh, all of a sudden much more important now with a lot less of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I knew I wasn't ready to get anywhere back into the boats and the price of boats has just gone stupid. Um, even from the year 2000, uh, 2000 and now 20 years later, um, the same boat 20 years ago was significantly, uh, more budget friendly. And I can't say the technology of the boats has changed that much. It's like, okay, things get more expensive when they get better. But we're still talking fiberglass. We're still talking, uh, okay, four-stroke motors. I had four-stroke motors in 2000. So, I mean, um, some of this might all have gotten a little better and more reliable, but it isn't like it's brand new technology. It's not like we're now buying Kevlar hulls uh, and fiberglass is, uh, you know, a thing of the past kind of thing. So it's still a fiberglass boat, and it just kills me to see the prices on some of that these days. So I wasn't in the market. and. Uh, so quite comfortably, I say, well, you know what? I'm going to start fish. And uh, <laughs> that's what I started doing. So in talking about boats, you, the technology hasn't changed. It, and you're right. They're just like, hey, we're going to keep throwing money at this and money at this. I mean, a Kevlar boat would be kind of cool. I mean, I, impractical, maybe? But <laughs> it would still be kind of cool. I, I, I might buy one. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think you can get the Uber custom stuff that will be Kevlar, you know, Kevlar lined or whatever, but it's not a, it's not a consumer boat yet. Right. And that, I mean, that in itself is a niche. So I, I get that. Right. Okay. So with the boats and the running there, so that brought you to the surf. <laughs> all right. That, that's a hell of an yeah. easy transition. I was like, all right, well, fine <laughs> then. We'll just do it that way. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the surge though, to the sport of surf fishing? Um, so, what, I'm going to claim there's a surge in everything. Um, I, I think, you know, there are rock collector groups now that are 10,000 people strong, where back in the day, if you were a rock collector, you were in a club of 200 people. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, I, I mean, you've got social media again and YouTube. Uh, some of that makes it easy, uh, makes it look easy, or it makes it look less scary and you've got people that are like, Hey, I can try that or I can do that. Um, also, uh, the gals out there. I mean, I think women in this sport has, has exponentially been going up, which is awesome. And, and guess what? They can catch just as good a fish, if not better. Um, uh, women are outstanding students. When I was offshore fishing and, and I'd have, you know, three couples, you know, three guys and three girls. The, the, the women would listen to the instruction on how to release the bale and keep a little thumb pressure on as we're dropping down for bottom fishing. And the guys all had to, oh, I know what I'm doing. And they would bird nest. Yeah. Um, right. Um, so um, there's no such thing as the weaker sex uh, in any dimension to, to, to my view of this stuff. Um uh, the technology in the rods, surf rods, you know, the, the, the graphite and all the, the technology and science that's gone into modern rods. Um, 
just about everybody, young children or, you know, teenagers can, can throw a hundred yards with your average surf rod these days. So it's, uh, you can reach the fish. So there, there's no he-man advantage uh, to any of that sport now. Yeah. I, I, speaking from experience, I mean, we fish together. You fish with Abby, my daughter. I mean, it's sure they're just growing and they listen so well. It's they, they are becoming better anglers and it's not only from us, but also, you know, the other people that we see because back when, you know, you were a kid, obviously big difference between when I was a kid in the eighties. Um, but also similar in the fact that if you were going to learn how to fish, you had to go with somebody. You, you had to learn from someone. You could do trial and error, sure, but it was easier to learn from someone. Whereas nowadays, uh, you know, I want to learn how to underwater basket weave. Yeah, go on YouTube. All right, cool. Yeah. You know, I want to learn to surfish. Go on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. You get a leg up. Um, but it still doesn't compare to the... Uh, interaction human face-to-face the the people teaching aspect of it uh and that is something that there's something to be said about that especially you know yeah and then that's where groups like facebook come along and you say hey i'm a newbie i'd like to do this or that i mean i know that you're the panhandle group over there i mean there'd be a half a dozen people saying hey meet me here yeah on saturday and uh, hold their hand right right through the whole the whole deal um, and I do that quite frequently over here. I mean, heck, I, I have people walking the beach and I get a fish on and I start shouting at them to come over and take the rod. Um, and I'm going to start filming some of that cause it's absolutely hilarious. Um, you get somebody dog walking and all of a sudden I'm holding the dog and they're holding the rod <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know what to do. At least I've had dogs. So I know what to do with the dog. <laughs> yep. Like you better figure it out. Cause I got your animal here and you know, you, yeah. you better bring that fish in. Cause this, there's going to be a trade yeah. off here. One or the other, <laughs> but uh boy, the smile, you can't, you can't pull off with a scraper and, and you, you can tell their hearts are racing and, you know, they're, they're excited. And it's like, oh, this was great. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you, you know. Um, and I have people that, that follow me at Facebook and say, hey, Paul, I'm coming up or coming over, coming down, whatever. Uh, I'd like to fish with you. And I say, bring it. You know, let's, you know, figure it out. Uh, I'm retired, so I really don't have much of a schedule to worry about. Um, and so I'm fishing with people all the time. Um, and enjoy the heck out of it. I like meeting people and they've got their stories and they've got their ways of doing something. And, you know, sometimes I'm throwing the rods for them. Uh, it's a little different over here on the East coast. Um, you better have a hundred yard throw for a lot of our beaches <laughs> Yeah, and you know, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it, it was the tournament you and I were, it was a uh, Roy's, I think. Yeah. It was Roy's tournament. Uh-huh. And uh, it was funny going out with you and uh, who was left to me. Patrick was left to me, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'm watching. It was pitch black, so we couldn't see anything. I mean, we're all just throwing. But, you know, going up short, I'm like, oh, I'll just play like I am back home. I'll play in the hole up short. There's got to be a hole right here. There's always holes. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's no hole there, but that's just sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, low impact beaches, lots of it here. Yeah, but that was that was still a fun fun day of learning. Uh, so while you're talking about social media, you you bring up something that's really, I think, very prevalent, and you've mentioned it to me, and I definitely want you to talk about this. What are your thoughts on the competition of people online in the social media world when it comes to our world of fishing? 
Um, <clears throat> so th there's some Facebook groups. I'll, I'll kind of keep it focused on Facebook. I'm not really a Twitter person and Instagram. I don't think is a good media for, for this kind of exchange, but Facebook for sure, where everybody's comments start flowing and other people's catches, you know, say, Hey, I caught a fish today. And then someone puts a post right under yours or puts a comment right under yours with a much bigger, Oh, this is what I caught today. <laughs> yeah. um, right. We all have those posts. Um, and the thing with me is, is um, I just, I, I keep the ego out of it completely. Um, I give them a thumbs up or make a comment. Congratulations. Good for you. Or I love those kinds of days. Um, but if you fish a lot, you're going to have a lot of days where it's mediocre. Um, you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time or the water got wrong for you. And, uh, so where I focus is on catching what you're targeting. So I can bring in, I can reel in a nine inch whiting and go yippee yahoo. And the band starts playing in my head and the trumpets blare and the confetti falls. Um, because that's what I was after. There's no fences out there, right? So every fish in the world swimming by. Yep. And if you're targeting uh, pompano and whiting, and that's what you catch, maybe they're too small, but you're onto something. And, and that should be a pride point for you. And now you just have to hone in. It's, you know, trust your gear, trust your cast, trust. There's a, a whole long list of trust. And now you just have to pick a better piece of water, uh, you know, where, where the bigger school of that species happens to be hanging out for the next couple of days. Um, so I, I think where social media can wreck it is it always has to be the one-upsmanship. And uh, which I guess that's human nature, but it, it certainly doesn't have to be that way. And if you want to join, join Paul's team, you know, we can, we can fight for the littlest fish of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the fun days. I don't care what anybody says. Who's can, who can get the worst fish? Oh man. All right. You're making this fun now. I'm going to find the, I'm going to find the tiniest baby catfish out there. And now, yeah, it's going to be on. <laughs> exactly. Damn catfish. <laughs> Yeah, but hey, you know, you gotta catch them. And I, I will say, you know, as much as I talk crap about a catfish, I am happy for a catfish because a lot of times that catfish meant no skunk. So I'll take it. I'm never sad about that. Yeah, minimum definition of no skunk. Yes, I keep the bar low. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you routinely fish uh, the public access is where you're at out on the East Coast. Um, and you have routinely mentioned it, how you get swarmed by people because the beachgoers are all going to come out there. And that's just that's just the nature of those areas. It's not it's not a lot like here where I've got, you know, uh, I'm fortunate in the fact that we've got the National Seashore. You know, there's accesses, but then I know I can walk a half a mile and no one's going to follow me. Um, and you guys out there, you have a tendency of, you know, people are just going to come to the beach. They're going to be around you. Um, so when you're doing that style of fishing with people around, how do you deal with it? What do you do? Um, I've had uh, this year one horrible experience, and I was at a state park in St. Augustine, and I just got so overrun with people. And uh, I actually had people walking at low tide across one of the inner closer in sandbars that saw my line, picked it up and put it over their head and kept walking. Um, yeah, not good. Yeah, not good. Um, and or surfers that could have cared less and they 
definitely were riding their surfboard all the way in through my lines. And the little fin on the surfboard uh, is enough to catch a line sometimes, believe it or not. And, and you know, the rods are going off, and he's got three of my lines uh, trailing underneath his surfboard. And, and that's just miserable. Yes. Um, and it's a it's a day day ender for me personally. I, I just get so irate about it. Um, I'm I struggle completely to find something positive about an event like that. Um, so I'll reel in and go. Um, my head's not in the game anymore, and shoulda, coulda, woulda, and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like the further away you try to walk, um, you're meeting up with other people that try to get away from it all. Even swimmers. I mean, they don't want to swim in the masses. But boy, they don't have a problem putting out a towel, you know, ten feet from your sand spike and going straight out to go swimming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Um, but there are some uh, some things I've done. So the state park up here on Amelia Island, uh, or Little Talbot rather, Little Talbot State Park, um, it's one of the precious beaches that doesn't get a lot of foot traffic or swimmers. Um, because it's a beach they've left alone. So the storms can destroy it, move driftwood all over the place. I mean, it's a raw, untouched beach, probably what it was like 100 years ago, um, versus anything down Jack's Beach and any of the you know high-population beaches where, oh, my God, there's a piece of wood. We've got to scrape it off and smooth out the sand and replenish the sand and you know totally put it back to perfect sunbathing condition um so i stay away from all that i just i won't go there um way down south again there's uh, further south I, i'll go down to matanzas inlet and 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 not quite palm coast in a day um when i'm driving an hour and 20 minutes to get to a fishing spot it's kind of takes a little fun out of it right then and there oh, if yeah. you're trying to do su sunrise right yeah. <laughs> that that's a painful drive right there for that yeah. So, but um, yeah. So you basically you, you kind of do the same mentality. You you know where this you know where people are going to be and where they're not going to be. Right, right. But when you are swarmed, you just you, you try to do the good thing. You know, you try to keep the men, your head in the game. But when you just get overrun, it's it's like all right, we're done. There's there's no point in this anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean the the water you can just take a deep inhale and smell. 15 different suntan lotions and <laughs> you see the oil slick in the water and <laughs> yeah, it's choking out the whiting. They're like, no, yeah. no, I'm going, I'm going on another 200 yards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And I, I know I, the funny thing um, with the coast and I know anybody that's listening to this, if you're on the coast, you know, this uh, like the back of your hand, your tide changes every six hours. Whereas here in the panhandle, we get one, we get one high, one low. And that's all we get all day. So it's a little bit of a funky thing. Um, but in, if you're fishing out in Jacksonville, uh, especially in that zone, uh, it, it's normal for you to start with your rods really close to the car and then walk them out about 80 yards to where the water's <laughs> not anymore to walking them back to your car. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Uh, that tidal swing is real. And it's it's amazing to me to see how the people, uh, you know, the beachgoers react to that because like, oh, the tide's down. And then they put their stuff down there. When the tide starts coming back in, it comes in quick. It's not, you know, it, it is gradual. It's six hours. But it is still a very quick turn. It, it will come up on you before you know it. Uh, and then you see them pushing back, and you're like, no, 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 no. This is my little plot. We 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 have a virtual unspoken agreement, right? But 
Um, unfortunately, a lot of that gets crossed, and uh, you know it it turns into something bad, which it never is fun on the negative side. And I know you've also had that a couple times where there is a negative interaction um, with a beachgoer versus a surf angler, and it's just not a fun thing to deal with. Yeah. You, oh, I've had um, people that rent the house, and they think that. You know, they've got it for two weeks or a week, whatever it is, and they think everything straight out from their back porch is theirs oh, yeah. or part of what they rented. And uh, I had this one gal, nice as could be, but she says, uh, sir, I'm letting you know I've called the police and they're on their way. And, uh, you know, if you want to avoid being arrested, please pick up your stuff and vacate immediately. And I'm like, what? <laughs> cool. <laughs> who what? was it? Oh, I'll wait right here for him. I'm really excited to see who it's going to be today. Yeah. Um, I said, well, I said, I, I heard you and I, and I spoke softly, calm and cool with her. I said, I understand everything you're saying, but it would have been a little bit nicer if you said all this to me before calling the police. Oh, well, I have to do that because you guys don't move. And I said, well, that's right. Cause we don't have to. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, but, uh, Florida law, here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm actually yeah. glad that a lot of people are finally, a, a lot of the anglers are starting to um, keep that law a little bit closer to the to their, uh, to their hand. Um, I know about this time last year, uh, I saw a lot of interactions, and then um, a few months ago I wrote that article about, hey, look, we can get along, but also here's the rules. If you're at the high tide line and it's in a public beach, you're within the right. If they interfere with you, they're in the wrong. So you can have the nice conversation and say, hey, look, per the law, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm in a public beach, and according to this, I'm legally allowed to be here. Um, you're welcome to sit with me. We'll happily fish together for the day, but uh, you're not going to like how this ends. So yeah. we good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It really is. So uh, let's get out of the negative there. Uh, how do you plan your fishing trips? Um, so I'm an engineer by trade after the Navy. I got a computer science degree. I've always been around computers and programming and all that. Um, so I um, love Google Earth. I love Google Maps. And I also use the uh, Navionic nautical charts, which I have on my phone with one of their apps. And... I study the best I can with the newest photos that I can get a hold of um, to look for terrain. And I can tell you before I get there whether I'm going to a high-impact beach, meaning that it drops off quick into deeper water, or if I throw 40 yards from this house that's on Google Earth, um, if I throw 40 yards a little bit to the right, I'm going to hit a hole that may or may not be there, of course. Right. But it's it's a terrain that not only showed up on Google Earth in the darker water zooming in, but it also shows up on Navionics as far as uh, a deeper tide uh, or a deeper uh, terrain line, uh, contour line in the water. And um, so when I've tried to target something like Black Drum or – uh, redfish, red drum. Um, I'm looking for those little cuts that come in closer to shore that I can reach with a cast and uh, throw the right bait, you know, throw a crab knuckle out there, and I can catch reds off the beach 
with finding some of that little bit deeper water. So I, I love uh, the technology to aid in where I want to go. When someone says, hey, let's go to Volano. Um, Volano, parts of Volano went through a, a beach re renourishment thing. So, and, and Navionics and Google Earth and Maps and all that haven't caught up to it yet. Um, so there was been a couple disappointment outings, but, um, you know, the state parks, they don't get touched. So when I, I've got a couple spots on a, at a couple state parks that I really like, uh, I'll call them my honey holes, um, because I can find a little bit deeper water. Um, and or enough of a terrain or some rocks even that are out there that I can spot with Google Earth um, that gives me an edge, I think, uh, to find something a little more fishy. Um, fish like, they like structure, right? So um, I've done a couple of YouTube videos where I called it like an interesting piece of beach. And some of that was a direct result of spotting it first online and then going and look for it. And, and I actually found a couple points that came all the way to shore where water was coming from opposite directions and creating these little pyramid upwells of water. And, and that was just full of whiting. Um, Ooh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Taco bar much? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Love them things. Yeah, I, uh, that was uh, a period of time I was fishing with... Um, uh, uh, Larry Finch, and he he said, "Paul, why don't you go hit this beach?" And so I did the Google Maps thing, and, and I found that point, and I think I sold him thirty pounds of whiting that day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. It's not a bad day, right there, to go to be able to give the Larry, and yeah, not a bad day at all. Yeah, that man, that man has a magical voodoo, and. uh it's really interesting to I've enjoyed speaking with him the couple of short conversations I've had but uh he's, yeah he's a wealth he's, he is you know I wish you know and I know this is horrible somebody would be like oh intrusion but uh, hold on it's sometimes I wish we all had USB ports in our brain so I'd be like hey give me that all that I want that here yeah. <laughs> can I download please yes make I mean Larry surprised me actually uh the last time we were at Roy's he was like hey you know I'm I'm this old. I'm not going to be here forever. Uh, I'm going to share my knowledge. And it was like, oh, uh, you got a spare room? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'll, I'll go with you every day, whatever you want. Uh, yep. that, that's that's fishing knowledge right there in itself. Uh, yep. so you were mentioning a Navionics. Uh, is there a specific app that you like for Navionics, or is it just that one? Um, I quick look through the store there i didn't see I, I mean you type in navionics into the app store in the apple world and you're getting just inundated with a ton um i think the app is called boating okay so for me i'm gonna end up saying boating but okay yep because that's what i say <laughs> <laughs> yes for all of you now that that's how i hope you see you see the word boating and you see boating you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boating. Boating sounds more, you know, very, very bougie. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's a subscription thing. I think it's about, uh, I think worst case, and I, I've signed up for it, it's about thirty nine dollars a year, and you can refresh your maps, your charts uh, every time you open the app. It's a, a refresh and update to the whatever zones that you've uh, picked out. 
And I think I've got, gosh, I think I have most of the East Coast and <laughs> Panhandle covered partway into Alabama even. That doesn't shock me. Eventually, we're yeah. gonna, I'm going to find a way to bribe you to get over here. I know I will. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I've, there's, I mean, there's, such, there's some awesome people over there, just simply awesome people. And uh, I stay in touch with them. We message and happy birthdays and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's not all that far, right? So, I mean, you've drove over this way enough. Um, it's just a matter of picking the right time and doing it. Yeah, just come out for this. You know, what is this fall? We're going into winter. Just come out for the you know the spring pompano run. I mean, it's it's not that good, but you know, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say what? <laughs> oh my gosh! When, when you're in a tournament and you're throwing back 15, 16 inch pompano because they're not three pounders, you you know, well, one, you 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 know, you have a problem, and it hurts yeah. your heart. But you you know you're in a good spot in a good day like that. So yeah. <laughs> oh man, just thinking about that's breaking my heart. Oh, those are some good oh. fish. Uh, all right, so th- that brings us into a really good point here. Um, what do you think the most common mistake newcomers make when they're starting out surf fishing? Uh, too heavy of a gear. Oh yeah, that seems to be a common thread that people have been telling me here. Too heavy of gear. Yeah. Um... Now, I'm not talking short six-foot rods, although, you know, I know there's been a whole rash of you guys over there using the light spinning tackle and having a blast. Um, yeah, it seems I to be see new... those videos and giggle. It's a um, new trend here. It's kind of like, all right, I mean, I've seen it, and I'll, I'll admit it, uh, uh, you know, a five-inch whiting, and all of a sudden the rod's bent over, and you feel like you're bringing in a 20, you know, 20-inch red, and it's like, oh, it's yeah. just a whiting. Well, I mean, that was still fun. Exactly, because <laughs> the tug's the drug, right? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, man, it is. So, um, so I mean, somebody that's got the broomstick for for a rod, and you know the the five thousand size spinning reel, and you know it's just all you're doing once you've hooked is you're just cranking it in. You've got thirty pound test line, main line on, and fifty pound leader, and and you're just cranking it in, and and uh, you lose the sensitivity of what the fish is trying to do. I mean, you do something with, uh, well, I'll go back to Larry Finch is the perfect. He, he does 10 pound test for everything. Wow. I didn't know he was that. I didn't know he went that light. I thought he was in the 15s or 20s. Nope. Uh, he'll do, uh, he'll do a 15 pound leader once in a while. Um, but other than that, he'll still, he'll, he'll tie on a, a 10 pound leader and he'll use mono, uh, for everything so he's mono mainline and mono leaders not even fluorocarbon huh interesting yeah all right fine now well, well, right. maybe i'll uh, set yeah, a rod I mean, up maybe maybe i'll maybe maybe just maybe up. i got a mental note yeah. go get 10 pound test <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I do 15 pound braid on everything okay and uh and then i've got nothing bigger than four thousand uh, size spinning reels for the beach. Um, and it's a lot more fun. And the, the new modern rods, I've got 12 foot rods and nice sensitive tips on them. And, and so I can fight a 10 inch whiting and feel like I actually fought the fish a little bit. Right. Um, it's funny you bring up the rod thing too, and I definitely want to continue on this. I mean, we've seen so many advancements. I mean, you got like, uh, 
over the bar series. He's done a lot of advancements with that series uh, for Florida Surf. Uh, what is it? Florida Surf Tackle. Uh, Mark Burford's done a really good adjustment on a couple of things with that. And then you know, we got Matt Poole with Ninja Tackle. Um, yeah. He's got some great stuff with the Dagger series. Uh, you know, Frisky Fins, who's making uh, off Ninja Tackle blanks. Same piece there, uh, all the way down. Um, Blake, uh, Real 38, just released his rods. Super sensitive tip. Um, it, but it's funny seeing how you can tailor these rods nowadays to um, your style of fishing. Like, you, you want a firm base, but, hey, you know, I want a medium-fast top. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. Hold up. And then they do it. It's this great new thing now. It's like it's almost like a golf club. You can customize exactly. it to do what you want. Exactly. And for, for somebody starting off, they can't appreciate any of that um, or just not know the differences. Um but but that's the perfect analogy though to you know a set of golf clubs you you know Tiger Woods would do a horrible golf game if if you gave him a, a set of uh, craftsman golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got to go to Walmart, man. He's got to get that yeah. w- w- the, the Walmart low end brand the the steel shaft. Like oh yeah, keep, go ahead, show me what you got. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd still kick my ass in golf, so I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. He, he, he would. You'd only be tin cup, you know. He, oh, I'll just I'll just play with a seven iron. Well, I don't know right. how I feel about this. <laughs> oh, <all right. laughs> but that but that is true, though. I mean, I never really thought about. And a couple of interviews that said the same thing. You know, too heavy of gear, and it's easy to get heavy gear when you're shopping at Walmart. As much as I hate saying that, uh, too many times, I mean, I, here especially, because we have a big tourist season, and I walk into Walmart every now and again, and it's like, why are you getting that rod? And I, I, I've I've been that guy. Hey, what are you getting there? Oh, well, why didn't you check down the street with it? You know, the tackle shop's right there. Oh, yeah, they, they're cheaper. Oh, yeah, and, and they'll spool your rod. Oh, yeah, and, and you yeah. get rigs. Oh, and bait. <laughs> it's like, come exactly. on. Exactly. You don't always need these... Uh, these certain rods you just you don't but you know on the same one you also want something more than the six foot ugly stick for inshore that you're taking it to the surf you're going to want something more than that it's just not yeah not the same but if that's all somebody has to start off or it's a young kid that's all he's got you know it it shouldn't prohibit or slow his drive down to go surf fishing that's for sure true and even with and I guess I should correct myself. With a six-footer, uh, if you wanted to play the short game, you, you're still going to catch fish. You got whiting. Um, the occasional Spanish mack will run through short. They do. Sometimes the yeah. reds run into that one. I mean, if you can just get your rod, if you can get yourself into the churny mix of the of the surf, you're, you're doing you're doing pretty good. Um, you, you're gonna you're probably going to get something out of that. But it it comes into the there's the other factors too. So. I guess more the, I'll eat some crow and say, yeah, I'm being an ass. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> no. I'd like you to get a bigger rod because that way you can go out further because you can throw a long rod short. You can't throw a short rod long. Um, exactly. But, you know, you don't need to go crazy on certain rods and gear. You, you don't need an 8,000 series reel. If you got one, that's what you got. Hey, it is what it is. My first, I think it was the pen. What did I get? I bought the Battle 3. The 10-foot Battle 3 was one of the first ones I bought. And it came with an 8,000 series reel. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with this much line? What's, what am I going to catch with this much line? 
what what do I do? <laughs> oh, but I understand what's coming there. Ah, oh, sorry. Yep. As I digress. Uh, so Jacksonville. Uh, we've talked a lot about it here in this podcast. Um, I know I've mentioned it before in other interviews. Uh, great fishing there. Uh, really fun differences. You can really target the same thing like here, you know, blues, uh, flounder, whiting, and all, the whole spectrum. You're, you're still going to get it out there. Your seasons are a slight different from ours, but not by much. Um, but with your, all the time you've spent fishing out there, uh, how is it different from the other places that you have fished? Um, so... Even one beach to the next here, I, I look at fishing spots like a like a golf course, and I'm I don't golf. I'm but <laughs> there's no two golf courses are the same. That's a fair analogy, right? And and so no two beaches are going to be the same. And then t- you throw in any kind of tide differentials and and stuff. The same beach is going to be different several different times during the day. Um, water clarity, though that that to me is the real uh set off and, and i would say jacksonville more times than not has dirtier water and it makes it very tough to target uh the pompano in particular they 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 want clean clear water um they're not going to go zooming into the to the ugly stuff um little ones will the little ones will use their nose more i think um my hypothesis here because i can catch a lot of short Pompano in dirty water, sandy brown chocolate milk water. Uh, they seem to sniff it out and, and go for it. But uh, trophy size, you know, keeper size pompano. If you're, that's clear water, clear clean water, because um, they are sight driven. And when they're in a school, they're going to zoom out ahead. I'll race you to the food, and they they grab and go. And uh, the hook's kind of an accidental thing on them. I mean, there's a lot of times where that rod's going and the fish isn't hooked yet. Um, and that's the mistake. I see a lot of people holding their rod. They, they, as soon as they get a little action on the rod, they're yanking on it already. And um, I'm not uh, – red drum and black drum, to me, pick up their – you know, pick it up with their lips and kind of swim around with it for a bit before they decide to swallow. Um so that's easy one to miss a, uh, a good hook set on. But Pompano will do that too. If they're trying to zoom past and eat before the guy next to them, um, they're going to just grab and go. And so the, the hook set is actually a, a delay um, that works out well with a circle hook and a sand spike. Um, but if you're standing there holding it, I think people feel that and, and start reacting right away and it, it pulls. I think it's a natural reaction. You get the, you know, the, you get the tug. And oh, it's like, I got to fight you back. I think that's right. an easy, natural movement. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the, the dirty water here, uh, you know, it's not that we don't have our days of, of clean water. And then the cleaner water, you have to be flexible. You, you've you picked out your spot and you go there. Over here in Jacksonville, we've got lots of inlets and rivers um, and sounds that, that dump out into the ocean here. I mean, 25 miles, you've probably got six or seven ways of of land water getting to the ocean um so you get to one spot or you go to the inlet let's just call it an inlet jack's inlet uh the mayport inlet you go to st john's inlet and see you're on one side of it and you've got dirty water you can be just about guaranteed if you went to the other side you'd have clean water or cleaner water um so a, a lot of times i mean there's been 
uh, more so lately than others because I'm really determined to catch something on some days. Um, I'll get to a place that's dirty water. I say, okay, we got to get to the other side. We got to go down or up depending which way the predominant current's going um, based on the cold fronts and nor'easters and all that that we get over here. Yeah. But uh, you can definitely get cleaner water if you switch sides of the inlet that you're next to. Yeah, I noticed that down at Canaveral. When I'll, whenever I'm down in Orlando at my mom's, I'll, I'll run over to the Canaveral to the Air Force Base area there. And uh, if it's uh-huh. dirty, it's like, nope, all right, we're going north. Or if it's bad up north, nope, nope, we're going south. And it's yep. night and day. It's completely it different. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about you on the Atlantic side. You guys, you guys have a little bit more of a challenge in the game of reading. And y'all are some experts at reading. And it, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so is there somewhere that you could, um, somewhere you dream to fish and if so, why? Um, so there's, there's two places. One's probably doable and the other one's going to be a stretch. The, the stretch goal is to go lake trout fishing on Great Slave Lake in the Northwest Territories of Canada. Ooh. All right. It's, it's world record trout up there. Um, that you can chase with a bobber and a boat. A bobber? Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this this might now just ended my my list. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> bobber. Um, yeah. There, there's uh, there's YouTube videos up there, and I mean, we're talking massive lake trout, and it's a a, a long lasting fight, and it's. I just, I can picture myself doing it and it's like, okay, I got to, I mean, you're going up there on a seaplane to get, I mean, there's no roads, there's no roadside restaurant. I mean, this is primitive camping kind of thing and you get flown in and they pick you up later on. It's literally in the middle of nowhere up there. Um, that sounds, so that's on my, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, look that up. You'll be surprised. Um, and then the other place is doing sight fishing on like a, a technical polling skiff down in the Keys. Uh, and that is certainly something doable. Um, just, uh, hey, look over here. There's a snook. Or over here, here's a nice big bonefish. Um, or even tarpon. I mean, they're down there sight fishing tarpon. And, uh so I, I think that's really cool. Um, and again, I'll go back to my dirty water here. Uh, to be able to see the fish that you're throwing to is uh, something you don't get to do in the ocean very often up here. Yeah, I can imagine that. That, that would be a lot of fun, <laughs> man. That, that just sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let, let's tie this one down here. We, we've definitely, this is probably the longest podcast I've had. This is even better. Uh, what advice <laughs> would you give to someone starting out and their surf fishing adventure? Um, keep it simple. Um, it doesn't have to be a double dropper loop rig. It can be a single hook. Um, a lot of times people might not have the right weight, and so they experience that whole tumbling. I mean, we, we have a significant surf over here, right? Obviously, most of the time compared to the panhandle. Um, so people can get frustrated when they've thrown something out and all of a sudden they're lying sideways and washing up on the beach, you know, 50 feet down the, you know, down the sand on you. Um, so the right sinker, 
Um, and I love I love Chip's spot mix, by the way. I'll give glad to give him a plug. Um, but uh, you know uh, the right sinker and uh, and getting a and getting the hook out there with some bait. Now it can be a shrimp. Every fish in the ocean eats a shrimp. So if you're brand new to it, use shrimp. Uh, fresh dead uh, shrimp is fine. Uh, I'd stay away from store bought frozen shrimp. Um, but uh, you know, fresh dead shrimp from a bait shop, circle hook, and and some weight to keep you put. You can heave out there and and definitely get your line tugged on. Um, and then study, and then study what it takes to start focusing in on whiting and pompano or black drum or red drum, um, because they do have their favorite foods, and uh, and you can start tossing that to them. And uh, another very successful plug is uh, for me over here is fish bites, and I think it's a similar success to your uh, fish gum over there. And I know we've got some guys over here using fish gum, uh, the synthetic baits. Uh, Inshore guys have been using synthetics for 30 years, maybe longer, right? How long's Gulp been around? Oh, yeah. Man. Right? Can't go anywhere without uh, seeing that name. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think the, the synthetic baits are still, even though they've been around 20 years or whatever it's been, I still think, you know, another 20 years from now, you're going to, somebody will actually, you use real shrimp? Why aren't you using, you know... <laughs> space age fish bites you know <laughs> that's so 2020 Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i i see it coming uh where you know the live bait and dead bait real bait uh might be passe someday mm, they, they can have a, well, i'll i have no problem saying yep fish bites fish gum on this line shrimp on that one sand flea crab knuckle clam what don't yep. you have i don't know i have whatever they're not gonna bite i'll figure it out today <laughs> <laughs> yep and and scribble out another part of that 90 percent of the water <laughs> exactly exactly <coughs> well paul thank you so much i really i really do appreciate you coming on man i know i had a couple of fun technical difficulties with us and i appreciate you rolling with the punches on that and uh i know that uh this wasn't expected because <laughs> we we're like hey we're gonna yeah. make this happen like and my, we only talked about it a couple of days ago and i'm glad that you were able to run through this with me but uh seriously thank you i, I really do appreciate it yeah, I appreciate it. And plenty of time for Christmas yet. Order my book. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can definitely find Paul's book on uh, Amazon. It is an ebook. Um, you can do it's all on Amazon. So you can get the uh, Amazon. You can get it on there for ebook, paperback, and I know I'm forgetting one there, aren't I? Uh, no. Well, uh, locally over here, uh, at, uh, Fish Bites. Trading Post has has uh, hard copies for sale at the register, and Amelia Island Bait and Tackle also has uh, paperbacks for sale. There you go, and that makes a great stocking stuffer, ladies and gentlemen. I definitely enjoyed the book. It was very much so worth the time. It was a very educational, but also a very fun adventure to read about. And uh, all I'll say is, if you start reading about dolphins, there it, it gets fun. Just, just keep looking. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much. I appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's been good. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on this adventure with us this week. It was a really good conversation, and hopefully you picked up a couple of nuggets of knowledge that will be able to help you out. So as always, please like, subscribe, and follow on the uh, platform that you're on. You can find this podcast on pretty much every platform now. I finally figured out how to get it out there. So share it out there. Somebody on this uh, in our happy fishing world could definitely use this knowledge. You know they can, and it's going to make everyone better. So... Thanks for sticking around. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surfishing. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.